Hello, welcome to 365 Dates of Travel with Fran. I'm Fran. Welcome to my podcast. The main aim for this podcast is to make you smile from something I say and or laugh at something I did. So feel free to laugh away at me and at my expense. That's what I'm here for. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast, all about the July stories, all the stories in the July chapter of my second book, 365 Dates of Travel, The Second Six Months. So hopefully some of you have read the stories by now, and so this will be a little bit of a background, or if you're not quite there yet, a little sneak peek in what's to come. So in July, I have a story from Scotland in 1998. A story from New York in 1999, which is when I went to the 30th anniversary of the Woodstock Festival. So I went to Woodstock 99. I went to the Netball World Championships in Jamaica on a very long flight in 2003. I Start a drive to far north Queensland in 2005 in my new car, Lottie, or my old car, Lottie. There's a lot about Africa in 2012, and there's also quite a bit about Tasmania, which happened in 2022, and a few other mini dates and pieces in between. So starting with the Scotland story, I think it's actually the last Um, story in the book, but we'll just start there in order of date-wise, seeing as most people seem to like that. Um, So it's it's also an insight into a little bit of the nanny world. So at some point, people have been asking me for years to write my nanny stories. And so there's a few little snippets and bits and pieces of nanny stories in the second six months book. But so this story is, so there's a couple of dates from this, this trip and it was definitely a unique experience. I was trying to do something different as I often did with my nannying and I always regretted it, to be honest. But I ended up in Scotland with this family and even though we started in London and we were supposed to go to Ireland in the end, it just it just didn't work. The, the whole thing, I didn't enjoy it when I was in London and then it kind of got worse once I went to Scotland and it kind of ended in a bit of a disaster. But I also had a little bit of a um, interesting tale to tell along the way, which I mention in this chapter. And I can't believe, like, as you know, I keep everything, but I literally still have the advertisement that was in the magazine that they advertised for the Nanny Inn so the actual words that they used in order for me to get the job. Seriously, I I don't know why I keep all these things, but it has been very useful for writing this book. I'm guessing a few people will be interested in my Woodstock 99 stories. So I literally cannot, if you have heard anything about Woodstock 99, I mean, it was the Woodstock that ended Woodstocks. It was a complete disaster when it comes to what was said in the media and how it will always be remembered. I do... I do urge you to watch, there's a few documentaries around, I think most of them are on sort of pay TV services, or you might be able to find some on YouTube about about it, but it was just, it's just hard to imagine that I was there. Like, I was really there. I have to admit, though, I had an amazing time, and so did all my friends. So despite the disaster that it was, that everybody considered it a failure and a nightmare, and people lost their lives in more ways than one. 
Um, but we had a, a lovely few days of music and fun together as us little nannies went off on a little group to Woodstock 99. So it's an interesting little story, but I definitely don't live up to the hype of the story. So the hype of the story is bigger than mine, but I was technically there when all of that was happening, which is just mind boggling. And a little bit of a spoiler alert maybe here, but literally when people thought they were playing in the mud and they had no idea what they were really playing in, it just, I'm so glad I didn't play in the mud of any kind. But I still remember how hot it was and we just, nobody, even the organisers, were prepared for the weather situation and it just really made a difference. Always being a bad redhead, I had the wrong clothes, no hat, probably no sunscreen, and there was no shade, and it I definitely got sunburnt. I'm glad to say I have improved a little bit along those sort of lines. I mean, basically, I just avoid heat at all costs, and probably I would have just disappeared if it had been now. There's just no way I'd be able to cope. I think I've got worse with the heat as I've actually got older. In 2003, I went to the Netball World Championships. So for those non-English background or English, the country English background people, Netball is, it's only played in countries where England has had an influence. So even in even in Canada, so they do play netball in Canada, but it's still mostly only in the schools that um, are run by sort of who have an English background. But countries in the Commonwealth, everybody plays netball. It is the highest participation sport for girls in those countries. And you can't live in Australia without having played a game of netball at some point in your life. And boys do play. There are boys teams and there are mixed teams, but it is still majority a women's sport. And it actually started out as women's basketball. So I'm not going to go out into the whole history, but it is actually quite interesting in how netball started. So basically they were adapting the rules of basketball in the late 1890s so that women could play given the fact that the fashion of the day, of course, was full-length dresses and very puffy sleeves. So just as a little fun note, the reason why you have to stand three metres away from your opponent, you are not allowed to stand any closer. And a lot of that is because if you had your arm up, your puffy sleeves would get in the way. (laughs) So I think that's quite funny. And obviously, you're technically not allowed to run in the game, not with the ball, at least. And again, a lot of that was to do with your skirts, because you're not supposed to be able to run that far in skirts. Hence why each players have different parts of the court that they could play in, because it wasn't considered possible or a good idea to run from one end of the court to the other given the fashion of the day. So there's all sorts of little bits of tidbits and stories about netball. But basically, it is a game that I love and it has definitely saved my life a few times in various ways over the years. So it's really hard to imagine my life without netball. I have had to give it up since my frozen shoulder, which happened during the pandemic. 
but I still love it. And there's a lot of netball stories in this second book, the second six months. So there is a lot of background is given at various points. And so if you do want to read the netball stories in order is not a bad idea. Have a look where the first netball story is and it will indicate a bit about how it's sort of the stories in this book particularly came about because there's my social playing netball and there's my experience with international or professional netball, which are the stories mostly in this book. Um, so, but Jamaica is an interesting sort of little story. You don't get the full story again. I'll have to tell you exactly what happens at the end (laughs) in a later podcast, but it starts off because I booked so late, it was just impossible to get flights. And I still remember, like this is back in the day when internet really wasn't a big thing. So, it's, it was really hard to try and do lots of search. You had to rely on a good travel agent because the travel agent was the one who had to do the deep dive into finding the way to get to wherever the person wanted to get to. And so because I was booking so late, all the direct flights and definitely all the cheap flights had completely gone. And I'm so grateful that I actually, all the notes that I was taking, they are in my normal everyday diary rather than just on note paper or scrap paper or anything, which most likely would have been thrown out. But in my actual diary, I've got page after page of all these crazy ideas about how to actually get from Melbourne to Kingston, Jamaica. And it's really not an easy spot to get to from Australia. There's quite a lot of places to go or places that you have to stop or go via in order to get there. It's just in a really awkward position. So quotes of like four and five thousand dollars in 2003 was an absolute fortune. Like I still think it's probably the highest flight or most expensive flight I have ever paid for. I had one recently that was 3,600, which was because of the pandemic, but the flights in here was 3,800. So that is a lot of money now. I would be not happy paying that now. I was not happy paying 3,600, but I did. But $3,800 in 2003 was literally a fortune. I was still nannying back then. I wasn't, I mean, I was well-paid nanny and I did take a pay cut when I originally started nursing from my nanny salary, but I still wasn't earning a huge amount of money. So it was a lot to pay. And I am so grateful that I paid because it is one of the most interesting netball experiences I have ever had. And I, I can't imagine what would have happened if I hadn't have gone. So I'm really glad I paid the money and I found a way to get there, but it was horrendous. I can still remember walking around the airport where I had a four-hour layover and nothing was open. Who's ever heard of an airport where nothing is open, not even one shop? Like I know not all the retail shops are going to be open at 2 a.m., But there's always something, whether it's a duty-free or a snack bar or something open, but there was literally nothing open. And I remember I was hungry even on the plane. I didn't realize until on the way back, I was flying China Airlines and I'd never flown China Airlines before. 
And so I didn't realize that at any point during the flight, you could just ask for a cup of noodles. (laughs) So I saw people sort of doing it, I think, but I didn't understand. I assumed they'd brought the noodles themselves and they were just getting the boiling water. But no, it was an actual thing that people who knew what they were doing or had flown the airline before, they knew that at any time between meals, you could just ask for a cup of noodles and you would get a cup of noodles. So had I known that was a thing, I would have actually done it. I believe Coming back, it was a whole different kettle of fish, so I didn't need it as much, but I knew and was prepared to ask for a cup of noodles if I needed it. But on the way over, I didn't know I could have had as many noodles as I wanted, and I didn't, I didn't expect to have an airport that was completely closed and I couldn't even get a bottle of water. So four hours of not having food or drink and already hungry from the plane, it was a bit of a disaster. And I was just so tired. I was just exhausted. It was the worst flight I think I've probably ever had. So you can read all about that and the crazy route and everything that I took and the other crazy routes that were actually considered along the way but I don't regret it at all. I ended up being, I was only in Jamaica for three days, which is ludicrous. I actually spent more time getting to Jamaica and returning. So the flights there and back were actually longer than the time I spent on the ground. But you'll understand a little bit more when you read exactly why I went. And later down the track, you will find out um, what happened in the end and why it was absolutely crucial that I went. There's quite a big jump then. I don't have any stories and I didn't actually do a huge amount of travel for quite a few years and around those early 2000s. Um, But a lot of this chapter is on my Africa trip of 2012. So I had Africa 1998, Africa 2012 and Africa 2014. So I saved... 2014 trip for the second book, which obviously um, is not coming out. So I will potentially do a lot more talking about that trip um, in later podcasts. Um, But the 2012, there's quite a bit. And it was a trip. So basically, because the 1998 trip sort of didn't quite go as planned, Africa was unfinished business. And so you've also meet Lottie in the second book. So Lottie was my answer to start with to the unfinished business. And I eventually realized I was never going to get Lottie to Africa and drive around Africa because I wasn't going to do it by myself. And I didn't have any friends who wanted to do it either. No one I knew was interested in that sort of trip. And I thought it'd be a slim chance of finding other people who would want to join me, like strangers who want to join me. So I kind of felt like it was a bit of a, well, it's never going to happen. So I'm going to have to look into joining a tour. So I still wasn't a huge fan of tours at this time. 2010 in Libya, that was my first ever group tour. So I was still technically against group tours. So it was really hard and I really, I knew how important it was to have the right tour 
and particularly at the right vehicle after poor old Lucy sort of, you know, gave us the mechanics tour of Africa. So, and being a group tour, I couldn't rely on myself to make sure that everything in the vehicle was fine, like I'd done all the research that I was going to put into play with Lottie. So I was scared. I wanted to do a big, long trip. I wanted to do a proper overland. But if I picked the wrong vehicle, the wrong company, it was going to be an absolute disaster. So I wasn't prepared to just book a long trip without knowing a little bit more. So I spent, so obviously the internet was a little bit better by 2012. So I did spend a lot of time online reading reviews, reading trip reports, uh, travel blogs, all sorts of things, trying to work out what tour company to go with. I looked at every photo. It was really frustrating when some tour companies don't put photos up of the vehicles they're going to use. This is something that you're going to spend weeks in all day. It's going to carry all your equipment that you're going to sleep in. You want to know that it's going to be comfortable and it has everything that you want. So I would zoom in and zoom in and zoom in and look at every little detail that I possibly could because all the tracks are slightly different. And I really wish I'd been in London at this point. The travel expos over there, the vehicles would actually go. So you could actually hop in the vehicle, check it all out, see the seats, see the windows and see how it all worked. And I was so desperate (laughs) to be back in London so that I could actually physically go to one of the expos. Of course, they're not going to put the the big trucks on ships and ship them out to Australia to a a travel expo. So we had to just go in blind. And I'd also heard so many stories, like even before my original Africa trip in 98, during that trip and post both online and from people who knew people, that if you get the people wrong on the trip as well, it can be an absolute disaster. Everybody had a story of coming across somebody crying in the bathroom because of something to do with the group or the tour company that they were with. And I already knew I was probably prone to that. I'm not great in group situations. Um, So I was, and I'm not great at mucking in and just helping out. I'd rather... That's, I mean, that's why I've avoided, I had avoided group tours all those years because I knew it was going to be stressful and difficult and that I could get it wrong and it would be a complete and utter disaster. And I was not prepared to have eight weeks of disaster. I've been wanting this trip for years and years and years. I wanted it to be the best it possibly could be. So I decided I, I sort of, <sighs> A few, a few tour companies just literally, you know, I could easily discount based on the truck or information that they had or that weren't long enough or um, just too many disaster stories. Um, and so I wheedled it down to two tour companies and I couldn't decide between the two. One was a lot more expensive than the other. I didn't want to go for the expensive trip in case I would have been just as happy on the cheaper trip, because I'm talking probably at least double the price. So if the cheaper company turned out to be okay, well, then that was great. And I had more money to spend on other trips or during that trip. So I decided I would do a short trip with each of them. 
and then decide which one I would book a longer trip with them. So the 2014 Africa trip was actually with the tour company that I chose between these two tours. So I had, so the first company was Africa in Focus and the second company was Acacia. Now, one of the main differences between the two vehicles was, well, one was just pure luxury and it's still the best vehicle in the whole overlanding world that I've ever, ever seen. It's it's no longer running, um, but it hands down is the only company I would ever really want to go back with in an ideal world. And it was the right choice for the second tour, <laughs> the big tour. But I really, so I liked the idea of the second tour company, Acacia, they had all your main luggage inside the vehicle. So if you were on a 12-hour drive day, you could actually access all of your luggage. So if there was something in your big bag that you really wanted that was going to make you more comfortable, you could just access it at any point. And each individual person had their own locker, so you didn't have to share it with anybody else. So I liked that aspect. The seats didn't look as comfortable, there wasn't as much leg room, and it was all very metallic. So obviously metal makes it easier to clean, but it could also make it hotter if it warmed up in the sun and not very soft or anything under your feet. Africa and Focus had so much leg room it wasn't funny. It was, I could stretch out my legs. It was like being in business class of an airplane. And the storage options, there were multiple storage options. So your big bag was under the truck and you did technically share it. So if there were two of you, there was one outdoor storage unit for one set of double seats. So the first tour, there weren't enough people on there to have to share or sit next to somebody. So I had a whole double to myself. Therefore, I had the outdoor storage to myself. But you couldn't access it during a long drive day unless you're at your lunch stops or your afternoon stops. But inside, you had a storage locker, again, that you shared with each double seat. So you could have quite a lot of stuff inside the truck just in case you needed it without needing to access your big bag. So I had extra pairs of shoes. I had pillows. I had all my camera gear. I had snacks and drinks. And so there really wasn't any need or it didn't make any difference that I couldn't access my big bag. And if there was something I didn't need one day, I just put it in for the next day and it was done. So the whole luggage situation sort of didn't seem to matter. Um, I didn't need access to my big bag, which Acacia was offering. The downside also with the Acacia luggage, because every single person had their luggage at the back of the truck. So when you actually got to a place, Everybody needed to be in that one small space at a time. So there were about five or six lockers on top of each other. So you can't have six people all trying to get their bags out. You can't even have one person from each lane really trying to get it. So it was a bit of a nightmare when you arrive somewhere trying to get your stuff out without either pushing someone out or being pushed out or getting hit on the head by someone's bag or you hitting somebody with your bag. So that was a bit of a mess, which that definitely wasn't an issue with the Africa and Focus truck. Um, also, because 
the Acacia trip was cheaper and the Africa in Focus trip was more expensive, you got a different clientele. And I definitely felt better with the older clientele rather than the all younger clientele. So I wasn't the youngest on the Africa in Focus, but I was the oldest on the Acacia tour. (laughs) There was one quite annoying um, girl on the Acacia trip who, you know, over and over again announced how she was the oldest on the trip. And she really wasn't. She never asked me how old I was, but obviously she thought she was older than me. But I can't remember now by how much, but I was definitely the oldest (laughs) and smirked to myself every time she called herself. Well, I'm the oldest in the group. But anyway, she, yes, I did not get along with very, with really many people on that trip. And I got I got the experience of what everybody was talking about, how when you get it wrong, it can go so bad. It was pretty bad. And I was one of those people who was crying in the toilet. So I did try and avoid the crying in the toilet section, but it definitely happened to me on one night where I'd just had enough. And it's unfortunate, you know, it's hard. You can't predict who's going to be on a group tour and you just have to join and hope for the best. But that, as the only trip where I had an issue. Um, I've always said, and I'll still stick by this, that there's always one weird person in every group tour. And on this particular group tour, I was considered that person. I was the weird one to all the others. And, you know, it is a bit, and a little bit of a spoiler alert here. I had already been in Africa for a few weeks by the time that tour started. It was the second tour. And so they were all coming all fresh from Europe and Australia and the like and hadn't ever been to Africa before. So one, I'd been to Africa before and I'd already been there for a few weeks. And there is this Africa frame of mind that you do get into after you've been there for a while, which makes a difference in how you actually enjoy your trip. Like if you don't get into that Africa frame of mind, it can be pretty awful some things will really get to you but once you're in that frame of mind then everything just slides off and you just enjoy it and you love it Africa just gets inside you and it never really leaves it's it's an amazing place and I do love it um in all its different incarnations from north south east and west but um so yeah so I'd already acclimatized. I knew what I was coming sort of to or had already experienced some of the stuff that we were about to experience. I had had my hair braided in really tight cornrow braids because it's just so much easier than having to worry about your hair every day. I didn't have to wash it. I didn't have to brush it. I didn't have to worry about what it looked like. And it was just blissful, but it was quite, it it didn't turn out exactly to what I expected it to, but it's what I got thanks to the language barrier of Rwanda, because I did get it done in Africa. Um, So here I was with that. And I'd also, the spoiler alert, got a black eye when I was whitewater rafting. So (laughs) I was in the Africa frame of mind while they hadn't even known that was a thing yet I had this really weird hairstyle and I had this black eye (laughs) so 
I didn't exactly present very well to start with. So, you know, bad first impression or they just didn't know what to think of me. (laughs) And I just went downhill from there. Um, Throw in the honeymoon couple. Oh, my God, that was just crazy. Seriously, who goes on a budget camping tour for your honeymoon? I'm sorry, go somewhere in a nice hotel first and then you know, go on a camping tour, but don't literally have your wedding, get on a plane and arrive on a group tour of a budget camping trip around Africa. I just think that was pretty ludicrous. Um, But everybody else thought it was the best thing ever and they got perk after perk after perk. Oh, we're going to stay here. There's one room with air conditioning. Who would like it? Well, everybody just said, well, they can have it. I was like, For me, a room in air conditioning was like winning the lottery. And just once I would have liked to have had at least an option to put my hand up and say, oh, I wouldn't mind having it. But no, that was never an option. Every little thing that came up like that, everybody just said, oh, the honeymoon couple has to have it. Oh, it has to be the honeymoon couple. So not that I'm bitter about the honeymoon couple, but oh my God, I'm bitter about the honeymoon couple. They were just really annoying. And there's a story in the book, which I won't talk about today, but there's a story in the book about (laughs) another thing. The trouble is everyone kept giving them everything. So then they expected everything. Like they literally thought they had to have everything and the rest of us couldn't have anything. So it really didn't endear me to them. Um, And there was definitely a lot of group dynamics happening on there that was, could be a bit nasty. And I really, I don't like that. And I don't deal with that very well. So that's a lot of my personality and that's, and I know that, and that's why I did avoid group tours for so long because I knew it just doesn't suit my personality I mean, I've got used to them over the years and I'm a completely different person now than I was in 2012, that's for sure. And so I'm still, I'm going on a group tour in a few months time in September and I have no qualms about it. Actually, that's another whole story, September, but (laughs) sign up to the newsletter to find out about that one. But yes, they're not as scary anymore. I'm older. I don't, I have a, a lower care factor these days or a higher care factor, whatever it is, as in I don't care anymore. And I really don't care if you don't like me. <laughs> so if you don't like me, that's your problem. I don't have a problem with it. Um, but, you know, in 2012, that was a huge thing I needed to be liked. And if I wasn't, it was quite heartbreaking and heart-wrenching and frustrating and I'd get annoyed with myself and upset and I just didn't want Africa to have any of those things in it. So I definitely did not choose Acacia for my second trip and a lot of that definitely was to do with the people on the trip and like I said the luggage situation wasn't ideal, the truck really wasn't ideal either. So Africa in focus was definitely the way to go. And I had an amazing, you know, eight weeks with Africa in focus two years later in 2014, which you get a little bit of a hint at, at in the second six months book, just one little day um, indicating that something sort of special happened along the way. But I did do some great things with Acacia. We had some amazing animal sightings. We, I did a hot water balloon, a hot water balloon, (laughs) 
I did a, 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 I can't even remember what it's called, a hot air balloon ride. That doesn't even sound right, but I think that's what I'm trying to say. Um, over the Masai Mara, which was amazing. I'm really glad I did that. That obviously was an optional extra, but I did that while I was on the tour. And we definitely did have some good animal sighting. So it was worth it. I did meet a lovely couple from Denmark. Well, one, they used to live in London. One is from Denmark and one was from Ecuador. <laughs> and I, they're the only people I sort of stayed in touch with afterwards just via Facebook. I haven't seen them or spoken to them since then. But that was the only saving grace amongst the whole group. And that was the connection to Denmark. So she actually lived in the suburb and grew up in the suburb next to the suburb that I lived. So we had a lot in common, which is definitely helpful when you are trying to make connections with people. So that was nice. I'm always happy to talk about Denmark, as you know. So it wasn't a complete disaster but it is definitely something I never want to relive again. So the July chapter also has quite a few or quite a few pages on the Tasmania trip I went on in 2022. So it was one of the, you know, first biggish trips, obviously not to another country, but in Australia since the pandemic. And it was really nice. I'd never been to Tasmania before. I always knew I was going to love it. And then somehow I just never went. And it's just down below. Like it's, I'm in Victoria and it's just, you know, cross over the water. So it's kind of, we joke about how it's kind of like going overseas because you do go over water to get to Tasmania. That's the little island underneath the Australian mainland. And it was amazing. And I was on a road trip. I had my car. I went on the overnight ferry, packed the car to the hilt. I was, for some reason, in real disaster preparedness mode at that sort of time. And so I had everything under the sun packed in the car. And it was great. I could just go wherever I wanted to go. I had no plans of staying in any of the cities as such. Like overnight, yes, but no activities. Everything was about being in the outdoors. And it was winter, so that was fine. It was cold. But I had every winter weather gear possible because it was all packed in the car because you can take everything when you've got the car because you don't have to worry about airline luggage limits and everything. So it's a really – and it's also one of the first trips after – um, I've writing the stories up. So based on what I wish I had, it's one of the most documented trips I've ever got. So they're quite long stories. And that's literally because, well, one, it's fairly recent. So I have good memories. I have more photos than I've ever taken on any trip. And because a lot of those photos were actually extra data collecting for able for being able to write the book. So it's an interesting little um, change in how I travel and how I document because of writing this book. But I think that's enough for now. So I do hope you are going to read the July chapter. There's quite a few interesting little stories in there. And um, I will reiterate that, yes, any of the stories in any of the books um, that or any of the trips that haven't been finished off, so to speak, that don't have the start to finish, I will do uh, podcasts about what happened on the rest of the trip. So instead of writing 
the second year worth of stories. I will be talking about them on the podcast in the future. So if you do want to hear more about a particular story, then definitely keep listening to the podcasts and watch out for the ones that talk about the trip that you're interested in. So next week I will be reading some stories from the chapter and little bits of introductions and so that will be next week. So thank you very much for listening today. I hope you found something to laugh about and I wish for you an interesting day. 